FBI Retired Case File Review with Jerry Williams. I'm a retired agent writing crime fiction inspired by actual FBI cases. In today's episode, I interview retired supervisory special agent Jim Weddick. Jim served in the FBI for nearly 35 years, and he talks about his assignment in the late 1970s as an undercover agent in the Bureau's very first long-term international undercover investigation. The case marked a significant shift in the FBI's priorities and was the first time that the Bureau operated a sophisticated attack on organized crime networks and financial criminals using white-collar crime violations. He also talks about several cases that he worked when assigned to the Sacramento Division. Before we get to the interview, I want to let you know where I am. I'm actually in sunny Deerfield Beach, Florida, attending Sleuth Fest 2016. Now, Sleuth Fest is a writer's conference presented by the Florida chapter of Mystery Writers of America. And at this conference, there are authors who write mysteries, crime fiction, and thrillers. The conference is a great opportunity to study the craft, the writing craft, and to network. The guest of honor for the conference is C.J. Box. Now, C.J. Box is a New York Times bestselling author of 18 novels, and uh, he is known for his Joe Pickett series. I uh, picked up one of his books to read on the plane on the way back, Three Weeks to Say Goodbye. Um, My understanding, it is a departure from the type of book that uh, C.J. Box is normally known for, but it looked pretty interesting. So uh, I'm going to read it on the plane, and uh, I'll tell you what I thought about it uh, next week. And now, here's the show. I am excited and absolutely thrilled to introduce my guest for today, Jim Weddick. Hi, Jim. Hi, Jerry. How are you today? I'm doing great. Now, the last episode, I forgot to mention that the agent that uh, I was interviewing had actually been a supervisor before he retired, and I didn't give him uh, his uh, his uh, his due. So I want to introduce you as super a retired supervisory special agent, Jim Weddick. Sure. Why? Thank you for that. Yes, I I did uh, I did run the uh, corruption and uh, healthcare fraud squad here uh, when I retired. So thank you. Okay. So you were um, last assigned to the Sacramento office. That's correct. All right. So why don't we start at the very beginning and talk a little bit about what were you what you were doing before you joined the FBI what interests you, why you joined the FBI, and then some of the other things that uh, you did. We'll talk about what you're doing now, and then we will go back and talk about uh, one of the cases, any any case you want, one of the cases of your choice. So first of all, sure. what were you doing before you came into the FBI? Sure. Uh, I was one of those kids, uh, and uh, strangely enough, there are a lot of us in the Bureau. Uh, I was a kid that uh, was always interested in joining the Bureau. 
Uh, in fact, when I was uh, about 14 years old, I wrote in to uh, Mr. Hoover and I asked him to send me a, a booklet and information and what have you. And uh, in fact, the agent didn't misread the communication and he called me up to ask me if I wanted a job. Uh, <laughs> when you were 14? When I was 14, only to find out that I was 14 and he was what was his reply was, OK, kid, we'll uh, send you a booklet and uh, and that was it. And so um, I was in New York at the time. I was going to school in New York City and uh, went to course to high school and uh, college. And uh, because I always had an interest in the Bureau, uh, I went to Fordham University. And while attending Fordham University, I, I noticed a, a want ad on the bulletin board that said that they were in need of special uh, assistance uh, to do clerical work while they were going to school. And so I just thought that would be a great opportunity. And so I uh, wrote into the Bureau. They sent me an application. I filled it out. And my father asked me one day, what, what am I doing? And I said, Dad, look, I, I, I got myself accepted. Uh, I'm, I'm being offered a job over at the, uh, the FBI. And it, and it literally bowled him away. And, and so while I was going to school at Fordham University, I had a part-time job. And the unfortunate thing there was they um, – they I they immediately it wasn't long after joining that they said I had to work full time, too. And so literally I had two jobs. I went to school full time uh, and uh, I uh, worked for the bureau full time. So they, the bureau had their offices over there on East 69th Street in New York. And so I would uh, go to work there and then I crossed the park, Central Park, over to uh, Fordham University at the Lincoln Law School over there and uh, would go to classes until I graduated. And how long and, uh, did you uh, do both? I did both until 1973. I, I, I joined, uh, it was 69, and then it was 73. I, I became so an this agent. Was, um, well, so was this the entire time you were in college, practically? That you yes, were also yes. working? Uh, oh, Ex wow. Exactly, exactly. And uh, uh, I graduated in 72, and uh, I, was, I stayed there for about a, another year before I got an appointment. And then uh, uh, I was just as pleased as punch as I got my appointment. There were a number of other uh, folks there working at the bureau and at the New York City office there. Likewise, sought an appointment and they got one. And uh, could you and, explain uh, to our so, listeners? So, could you explain to our listeners about that program? Because you're right. At one time, many of the agents who came into the bureau started out at as first as clerks. Sure. Uh, uh, Mr. Hoover always wanted accounting, accountants and uh, lawyers. And uh, he had there were a, a third program, uh, general uh, program where you could get in as long as you had certain experiences, which included clerical work at the bureau or other experiences. And so uh, I used those to get in. Uh, my backup was I was an accountant also. And and so um uh, the funny story there is uh, when it came time to get an appointment, they wanted to make me a special agent accountant. I turned it down, and I was uh, pretty uh, close friends, friends with the assistant director, John Malone, at the time. And uh, he said to me, because uh, I, I drove for him on many occasions, and he said to me, I understand you you turned down your appointment. What is that? You crazy? And, yeah, why uh, would you do that? <laughs> And I said, Mr. Malone, I joined the Bureau not to be an accountant because I, I really didn't understand. I was worried that I was always going to be doing accountant work. And so, of course, that's not the case. Uh, 
And and so, but anyway, uh, he understood. So, so you and, so did you did you take up accounting in college just so you could get in the bureau, but you really didn't want yes. to to do the work. Yes, uh-huh. exactly. Strange okay. as that may be, exactly. I just didn't want to do it. And so anyway, I got into the bureau, and um, at the time, you know, it used to be that you were involved in. Uh, the bureau did a lot of car thefts, car theft rings, bank robberies, and that kind of thing. When right. I became an agent, I wanted to be—I uh, wanted to chase bank robbers. That was all I wanted to do. In fact, I yeah, wanted that's, to go that's to the fun uh, stuff. Yeah. Oh, sure. I wanted to go to Gary, Indiana. You know, the home of uh, John Dillinger, if you will, uh, and uh, and and chase bank robbers. Uh, and uh, and so I actually did go to Gary, Indiana, and I actually saw the jail. Well, where Dillinger was and what have you, uh, they have a new jail there now. But but uh, uh, it wasn't long after I got in that the bureau changed. Mr. Hoover died, and uh, it went from you know we needed to do more sophisticated uh, financial crimes. Uh, and uh, Director Kelly and Webster they changed the priorities of the bureau uh, from white um, to. Uh, cars and, and, and the Communist Party, they worked that big at one point in time, and, and, and bank robberies, to uh, white-collar crime, uh, organized crime, and public corruption. And, and so these and were not so, concentrations before when Hoover was alive. They changed after he uh, after he died? Exactly. They, they, they added a lot of resources. Uh, Hoover, Mr. Hoover was criticized a number of occasions because he had been directed agents to a number of investigations that folks didn't feel were, were 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 of the caliber that they thought the bureau should be investigating. And so, when Mr. Kelly and Mr. Webster came in, they changed the priorities. And, and for the first time, the bureau had in its list uh, back in 1978, uh, its list was uh, white collar crime, organized crime, and public corruption. And so. Uh, uh, you know, I, I quickly changed, not quickly, but I changed my focus into uh, wanting to work bank robberies to realizing, well, it looks like the, the Bureau is heading in the direction of sophisticated long-term undercover operations. And, and, and so that's when I started to go in that direction. My, uh, my When you look at my career, it actually is, you can break it down into kind of three little levels, and, okay. and, and that is... Uh, you know, getting in doing the bank robbery and general crimes and then realizing undercover work. So then I did a lot of undercover work. And so that's kind of the first phase. And then the second phase, because of my experiences in, in, in being the undercover agent, I then decided, well, I'd like to be the case agent responsible for designing different undercover operations. And so I orchestrated a number of uh, major undercover operations. And then the latter part, um, uh, uh, I I, uh, I ran the uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program here I I uh, managed the uh, public corruption squad and the healthcare fraud squad. Okay. So basically, and, you had you were in two offices, uh, Gary Gary, which is I guess a, a resident agency, a, an RA, out of um, Indianapolis. Is that right? Yeah. So what? Yeah. So what happened? I I went from New York transferred to, uh, went to the uh, training academy, and then I went first to Indianapolis. They they had a policy there that they didn't let first office agents go to Gary, Indiana, because it was too much. They thought it was a dangerous place, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> and so 
so I had to prove that I could work uh, in that area. So they assigned me a, a four-county area that I did. And after I completed that for a while, they said, all right, you can go to Gary. So I, then I went to Gary. And um, in Gary, um, uh, Gary was a significant case because, as I mentioned, I was changing going from bank robberies to undercover work. And so I was introduced to a number of uh, confidential informants, and uh, I proposed to the Bureau that we do uh, an undercover operation. Now, if you can imagine this, uh, you have a young agent in Gary, Indiana, wanting to do an undercover operation, and the Bureau says, well, let's hear what you have to say, but probably not really. And, and so I gave them uh, the parameters of the case, and uh, they said, well, let's try it. And, 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 and here's the interesting part of that case. Um, today's bureau, uh, agents who want to work undercover, they're given fictitious identities. They're given credit cards. In some instances, they're given apartments and residences and, and others, uh, sophisticated cars, if you will. Mm-hmm. In those days, we didn't have any of that stuff. And so proposing this undercover operation, uh, it was an organized crime figure I wanted to look at because he had defeated the bureau, had lost a number of uh, major uh, criminal investigations, taking him to court. And so I proposed this undercover operations. The funny part was I, I had an informant that could make the introduction, but I, we didn't have uh, backup, meaning I didn't have fictitious identity. I didn't have an apartment. I didn't have other you know means to kind of, uh, have a false front, if you will. And so why, the bureau and, said and why time, wasn't it? Why, why didn't you? Uh, well, we, we, di- we, the Bureau didn't do that kind of uh, sophisticated undercover stuff. Uh, uh, we just did, did it. The Bureau did, you know, short term, a day here, two days here, buy stolen property and that kind of thing. But they didn't entertain living with somebody or, or traveling extensively with somebody and having a false uh, fictitious identity. So what did you and do? So how I, did you? Yeah, well, how, how were you able to accomplish it? Well, we did it. Uh, made the introduction, and uh, in fact, it, it it it's it's one of the bureau's early, long-term, sophisticated operations. Uh, it is. It became success is successful. In fact, uh, Director Webster uh, picked it as uh, at the time. Uh, they were under. They were changing the bureau, as I said. Mr. Hoover died. They were changing the bureau, and they introduced a new case management system. So the case was major case number one, so that I could get resources and, and what have you. Wow. So you're uh, talking money. about this is the first major case number yes, one. Lit- wow. This okay. is major case number one, and it, it was codenamed. They codenamed it Op Op O P F O P E N which is an acronym for Operation Fountain Pen. And and what it was was the Bureau's first real attack on organized crime and financial crime and and using white-collar crime violations to uh, prosecute people who were literally, uh, uh, you know, setting up different criminal enterprises in foreign countries and then, you know, using those enterprises in the United States to victimize banks, uh, Wall Street, and what have you. And so literally, uh, I got taken into their confidence, if you will, 
under my own name. The, the bad guys knew me living in my apartment in, up in Gary, Indiana. And uh, I literally traveled around the world with these guys. Uh, I went to uh, the Caribbean, uh, overseas. You know, I went uh, to the beaches of Hawaii. Um, and, and what the con men were doing, and, and that's what a good script of, of them, they, they were setting up offshore banks in the Caribbean. And the financial instruments that they were using, uh, they were allowing the bad guys uh, used to uh, bust out uh, big financial buildings that were being under construction uh, to do financial deals. Uh, in fact, uh, one case involved a, a, a mortgage service company in New York City. So the bad guys had us fly into New York City. And, and, and in New York City, I was eating spaghetti with the with the, the mobsters down in Little Italy. And uh, while we were negotiating, uh, issuing bogus papers so that they could take over uh, the mortgage uh, service corporation. Now, you the, said you're uh, from New York. Were you afraid when you were in New York that you'd run into somebody you knew? Well, it, well it's always the problem. Uh, the Bureau was concerned about it. Uh, they tried to erase my identity a number of times. Uh, uh, because uh, in in doing the case, it involved a lot of money. Uh, this mortgage service company had a uh, hundred and fifty million dollar loan portfolio. The bad guys, the uh, the Lucchese, Genovese, and the Gambino crime families wanted to use the service, the mortgage company, to uh, fund street loans, and it was a hundred and fifty million dollar loan portfolio. So it was a pretty big deal. Yeah. Uh, and so involved in why we're having these discussions, a couple of disagreements arose. There were a couple of contract hits that were put out. Uh, one uh, suspect, uh, we literally had, there was a uh, $2.5 million uh, sec stolen securities case uh, where uh, we had four witnesses that were going to testify, uh, subpoenaed before the grand jury that were, were uh, eliminated, killed. And, and so the Bureau was extremely uh, concerned about it. Uh, it, 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 it. And what it about you? Was there ever a head out on you? Were you ever in fear of your life? Uh, I was, you know, it, it was always a concern. And, and again, let me remind, I didn't, I don't think I've said this yet. I was with another agent. So there was two of us. Okay. Uh, the other agent, you know, your viewers might be interested in, in hearing the story from his perspective. His name is uh, Jack Brennan. And, uh, and so, yes, we were always concerned. Uh, but we thought that we had it manageable. Uh, the bad guys, if you will, really liked me. And, and, and so I, I lived with one in particular, as I mentioned, his name is Phil Kitzer. In fact, the, the, the arrangement with him was such that when we finally arrested him down in Miami, uh, I had to bring him out of, he was in Panama at the time and he was actually negotiating to, uh, start a Panamanian bank down there. And I had to trick him to come out of Panama and meet us down in Miami. And uh, before I met with him, we had another agent uh, make the arrest. And, and one, of, one of the interesting things that came out of his mouth when he saw the agent that was uh, placing him under his arrest because he had recognized him, he just said, I want to let you know that uh, uh, Jimmy and Jack were not involved in this thing. Oh, and, wow. So he and, was going out of his way to try to going, protect you. Exactly. Oh exactly. So what happened when fact, you finally found out that you were uh, uh, an undercover agent? 
Well, he was extremely annoyed, as you might imagine, uh, and upset. But that night, we talked for a while, a number of hours, old times. Um, and uh, the long and the short of it is, uh, he went to prison and decided to cooperate and, and actually got out of prison. And, and, and your listeners will be interested to hear this. Um, getting out of prison... He and I worked a number of undercover cases together and, and actually uh, had a very successful and, and uh, enjoyable experience, if you will, because of our relationship. And uh, he took down so this a relationship, number of major... I was going to say this relationship yeah. you developed when you were undercover after he got over the initial shock kind of picked up and exactly. continued, but now on exactly. the uh, other side of the law. Exactly. And uh, in fact, the, the the relationship was such that uh, right now there's a, an author, uh, David Howard, is writing a book on it. It's called Chasing Phil. And, and Crown Publishing has bought it. And, uh, and, and now they're, the book has actually been sold and, and, and is being made into a movie just because of this unique uh, uh, relationship that we had. And again, I, I, your viewers can, uh, you know, uh, do a web search and look for Chasing Phil, and uh, you'll, you'll find that they're they're in the process of of doing the book and the movie as we speak. And so, uh, an interesting experience. Um, yeah. So you were saying now, how, how long was it that you um, played this undercover role, and you know, were hanging out with Phil Kit Kitzer? You said. Yes, his name is Kitzer. K I T Z E R. And uh, the uh, the travels in the undercover phase lasted about a year, and and so when I brought him out of Panama and had him fly into Miami, uh, again it was about a year. And so it's that period that the book covers and and the, the movie is uh, is uh, is being made. You'll see that it's actually Robert Downey Jr. that's interested in playing uh, the part of Phil Kitson. Oh, wow. Who's going to play you? Ah, well, I hope they find someone good. <laughs> My no, luck, I... it will be just somebody. <laughs> so I'm, I'm fascinated that you're talking about all of these, you know, traveling to foreign countries because, you know, um, many of our of the agents know uh, that might be listening that, when it comes to doing investigations, many times agents get to travel, you know, to that uh, that particular area. But most of the time we send leads. So if you're in Philadelphia and you have uh, an investigation that needs to be conducted in Oklahoma City, you know, you send a lead and somebody in Oklahoma City, City does it. And that's a way to save money and, and on travel. But the Bureau was sending you all around the world. They were paying for that. Who's, who was footing the bill? Exactly. Well, at some points, uh, the bad guys actually paid for the bill, and other times the, the Bureau did. Uh, a lot of times that case was overshadowed, became quickly overshadowed by another more famous case. It was called Abscam. And so a lot of the players that were involved in Abscam before that case were involved in my case. And so... Um, and so it, it was something that of, of a progression. Uh, you are right. And, and today we do that more often than not. All right. Then you needed almost a special committee of, of, of three bureau executives to approve the travel. Um, and so it was different and unique. But uh, as I said, 
directors Kelly and Webster wanted to, you know, propel the bureau in this direction of using long-term sophisticated uh, operations to get these organized crime networks. And and they realized that, you know, using informants was good for introductions, but in order for the evidence to stand up, they needed to have agents in place to do that work. And that's, and that's what we were doing. And that's, that's the work that we started doing. Um, okay. So you and, were one and, of the and, early pioneers of the Bureau's undercover program. Exactly. Uh, and uh, and when I say undercover, like I say, it's there are a lot of guys that did um, some short-term undercover work. This thing lasted uh, more than a year. Uh, we actually used my apartment as the, um, the place where the bad guys knew, uh, you know, I lived. I, I outfitted that the apartment up with uh, some special uh, banking equipment uh, uh, so that we could communicate back and forth. And uh, and so, you know, the Bureau did not think it was going to work. And after each meeting, it just did. And so when they saw that, it, you know, success begets success, they said, well, you know, let's pick this one. And, and, and so that's why they... They made it major case number one, and uh, before I knew it, they w- we were getting some money, resources, and uh, agents. So, uh, so it was during a great this, case. yeah, and during this year that you were undercover, did you go into the office? Yes, I did. Uh, in fact, uh, I mentioned Chase and Phil. I, I'm, I, there are a number of things I'm going to leave to the bureau to for your listeners to be thinking about, but uh, the, that work, trying to work undercover and at the same time uh, come into the office at different times cause problems and uh, that will be included in that story if your viewers are interested very good very good yeah it sounds like uh, it would make a unbelievable story just to to talk about again the relationship that you developed with um, the Phil Kitzer uh, again, with him thinking that you're 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 one of the bad guys along with him, and then later on him finding out, and then you know teaming together on the other side. Could you tell us a little bit about that? So after he sure. goes to jail, he goes to jail for ten years. Uh, go, he's sentenced. He's actually one of the few uh, bureau subjects, if you will. And I think uh, your your viewers will know, your listeners will know this, if they're the FBI agents that. Uh, he actually pled to uh, six federal convictions. Uh, one of them, I might add, and this is one of the stories that we're going to talk about, is uh, the the group in New York City also stole Elvis Presley's uh, Learjet. And so... <laughs> How did they manage? It's kind of hard to, to visualize somebody stealing a jet. Exactly. And, 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 but they did accomplishment. In fact, that's one of the cases that uh, Mr. Kitzer pled to. Um, and so the, the story is quite uh, incredible. Uh, and uh, the Memphis division actually charged everybody uh, that were responsible in, in stealing uh, Mr. Presley's jet. Um, at the time, I think it had a value of uh, $6 million. Um, and, and so uh, one of the stories that we talk about is uh, uh, the subjects in New York. Uh, they actually talked about uh, uh, what they did when they went, when they stole the jet, and and so uh, the unfortunate thing was, which was incredible also at the time, 
This case occurred in um, 1977, and so when we were undercover, and so that was about the time that uh, Elvis Presley passed away, and so uh, it was pretty uh, heightened interest, if you will, and so uh, as I said, there were a number of offshoot investigations that we got involved in that at the time were just incredible. When we were in Hawaii. Uh, one of the principals involved was the first lieutenant governor of Hawaii, where they, they had actually ripped off almost $100,000 from them. And uh, when we were down in Southern California, we got involved in, at the time, the New York Daily uh, News reported it as the largest uh, theft, the armored robbery in the United States involving, I think they estimated uh, several million dollars, if you will. And so... The the investigation, as I said, had just sparked a number of, you know, it might have been luck, you know, that we got into these different corners of organized crime. And 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 Mr. Kelly and Director Webster said this is a good operation to use as our uh, number one, um, uh, you know, example that we want agents to pursue. And so no. we got the title Major Case One. Yeah. So I'm I'm I, I need just to, to to get a better understanding of what you did because now you're undercover. I would imagine that you are participating in some type of illegal activity of the actual selling of these fictitious and bogus securities. What what are you doing and and how did that affect the case when it came time to uh charge and and prosecute the other people involved? And that was another problematic uh, area that we had to deal with. And, and we could not be involved in a crime that we knew was going down. And so if we knew the circumstances of the crime, the details, we would try to prevent it. And, and so it was those situations where we tried to had to prevent the crime that, again, produced these, you know, this incredible story. Uh, and, 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 and was very problematic because, uh, again, we could not let a crime go down if we knew it was going to go down. We'd have agents uh, I- intercept, uh, conduct interviews, uh, knock on doors if we felt that something was g- going on that was going to result in somebody getting hurt or, uh, or, or they were going to lose their money. We'd give them a warning. As in the, you know, in one instance in Cleveland where the, the mobsters actually had uh, put out a contract at an individual, we actually had the bureau go on out to, to the, the, the person's residence and we warned them that the contract had been put out and, uh, and actually we were able to get, by just getting that out, we were able to convince the bad guys that maybe they better not do that today because the feds are looking. And and so and nobody was but, ever suspicious that you were even if they oh, thought yes. you were undercover. Did they think you were cooperating in some way? Myself and this other guy, uh, the other agent Jack Brennan, uh, we were called Junior G Men because one of the uh, principals, Mr. Kitzer himself, at one point looked at us and compared us as the agents that were conducting usually conducting interviews, and and so. But it was the groundwork that we did before we actually uh, met Mr. Kitzer that convinced him that we were not federal agents. 
In fact, there's a, a conversation with him where he, he explains to me, he used to call me Jimmy, and he, he explains to me, Jimmy, I know you're not a Fed, and the reason I know that is because when I, when I always returned your phone call in the, in, in the early days of our relationship, you would never call me back. And, and he was such a, a crime figure, familiar with prosecutors by name, uh, that he thought that had he called a real FBI agent, they would have called him back immediately, simply because they would be able to do so without his lawyers present. And, and so uh, the fact that I never did that was his reason that I couldn't be. And so, <laughs> so you have it. Um, and it uh, it was uh, an incredible story, but but we did that, and uh, you know I worked a number of undercover cases, and then uh, lo and behold, I thought, well, you know what, I want to put my information, my talents to use to orchestrate undercover operations. And so when I got out to California, they moved me out to California because I got involved with all the hitmen, and um, so they moved you uh, out there for this- your own protection. Exactly. Uh, okay. Exactly. Uh, and that's how the teletype read. And uh, so I moved out here and, and while I, we move out here and, and load the newspapers are filled with California corruption, public corruption, the legislators are taking money. And so we uh, we designed a, uh, a three year undercover probe involving the state legislature where we actually introduced uh, bogus legislation uh, before uh, the uh, state body. And uh, had it passed, in fact, it was passed twice. We uh, introduced the measure on two separate years, and we paid different bribes uh, that resulted in a number of uh, state legislators being charged and prosecuted. Uh, The number is we actually convicted uh, four uh, state senators and uh, the assembly minority leader. Wow, and, and a number of a number of lesser figures. Uh, the total, I think, is um, uh, fourteen individuals. And 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 so, and what was uh, the what that, was the uh, year for this? When 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 were you working that on this was, case? The under the undercover phase was nineteen eighty five to nineteen eighty eight, and then we went over it when we when we executed search warrants at the Capitol. I could not believe the media response. The, it literally filled up one side of closed files, and uh, we were getting calls from everywhere, from uh, Eastern Europe to uh, London, from the BBC to Australia. And uh, the SAC was just shaking his head. Uh, but uh, the, the case, uh, the, news, the newspaper people nicknamed it uh, Shrimp Scam, so your viewers can just... Uh, can, well, why are uh, not... You're not- now you got to tell us why. Why shrimp scam? You're in Sacramento, you know. Um. Sure. Well, I gave it another name. <laughs> all right. I'm not even going to bore you with the other name. Well, I'll tell you, it was Brispec for bribery special interest. But they didn't like that. And, okay. and so, what happened is, we had to. It was a very technical thing. If you imagine, I'm submitting legislation before a state body here. So we were looking for industrial development bonds to build a restaurant that sold shrimp goods here in California imported from Mobile, Alabama. So we needed that interstate, the interstate connection to have a federal jurisdiction, if you will. And so the imported goods was going to be shrimp. And so that's how the bill was written. 
And the bill was a technical piece of language that when you looked at it only pertained to one company. In fact, it was the one uh, when we approached the director uh, to consider doing the, the investigation, the one requirement he, that he mandated was that it had to be, and this was uh, Mr. Webster, it had to have it be clear to him that it pertained to no one else but the shrimp company. And so that's what we did. We were able to do that. And uh, so he didn't, he didn't want you to accidentally snag another business that may not have had a um, had established uh, a need to 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 put out bribes. I'm, I'm not sure what you're. Now, he did not want the bill because it got uh, benefits that nobody else could get. All right. Oh, I see. He did so not want a third. Okay. Yes, if it passed, he did not want a third party person to get those benefits that we were getting simply because we were paying bribes to elected officials. Okay. Okay. All right. So, and so he didn't want you to actually affect. He did not want you to actually have. Uh, an effect on the legislation of for California. He wanted something. Exactly. Okay. All right. Now, who, did you have people that you knew um, were taking bribes, and so you created this company just to see or to provide evidence that they were uh, that they were accepting bribes? I mean, who who was uh, yes, your target, I, and how did you develop that? I had to, if you will, the word, the magic word of the Bureau is predicate an investigation. And so I had to show the, the director and his subordinates that we had clear information that the parties that we were approaching were probably, uh, uh, probably engaged in corrupt activities, probable cause, and, and, and therefore we could approach them with a confidential source and an undercover agent. Okay. And once we did that, we were able to uh, meet with them for a limited period of time, and if they asked for monies or bribes, then we could ask for money and get the money and then pay off the bribes, which is what happened. All right, and I happen so, to know that this case was a major case, so major, you actually received the director's award for uh, conducting outstanding criminal investigation for this case. So uh, congratulations. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, it, it, it was. It was uh, when, when I realized, you know, when I look back today, uh, that it took three years, the undercover phase. And when I, when it, when it, I always thought that somehow the investigation itself would leak out. But when it didn't leak out, when that secret remained protected for three years, I, I couldn't believe it. Uh, but it did result in us being able to introduce the legislation. We actually, you know, if you can imagine, we actually convinced a number of uh, elected and uh, of officials that uh, that we paid bribes to and others that we didn't to vote for the measure. And it actually got approved and passed and sent to the governor's desk. And so we actually had to go to the governor, Duke Majin at the time, Governor Duke Majin, and tell him, that the bill, the legislation he was considering to sign was our legislation. And, of course, as you might imagine, he rolled his eyes. And um, he did not sign the legislation. And what he couldn't believe, because we did that in 1986, what he couldn't believe was that in 1980, 
eight, we came back and did it again and had to visit his office again to tell him that the legislation that he was about to sign was our bill again. And he again <laughs> just couldn't believe it. It's amazing that, uh, you know, that it would get that far, that you that those bribes worked so well that this bogus legislation reached up to the governor's um, desk, like you said, twice. Now, there's some, another benefit. You got an award for working this case, but you also got something else for working this case. And that was a yeah, wife. Yeah, that's probably my better side. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll get your, your co-case agent uh, or, or the agent who worked those cases, your wife, Nancy. Uh, to come on uh, FBI Retired Case File Review. I, I told her, I gave her a heads up. I thought you might be calling. In fact, I'll tell you a little story. When uh, when we did get married, it was in the middle of uh, the shrimp scam case. In one of those little, you know, odd pieces that you see in a newspaper, one of the major newspapers, uh, they had a little section. And they, they mentioned, well, today, here's one for you. Remember the shrimp scam case? Well, the two we're investigating are now husband and wife. And so, yeah, she is my <laughs> You made the half. news. <laughs> I made the news. Yeah, she'd love to hear from you. All right, so we've been talking for a while, and it's been really fascinating. But I do want to make sure that you have talked about everything that you want to talk about as far as your bureau career. And then I want to talk just a little bit about what you're doing now. Sure. Uh do you have well, any other cases or thoughts you want to – 911 mm-hmm. uh, happened, of course, and we all had to work terrorism. And uh, and so – but I – the Bureau, because I had an expertise in organized crime and white-collar crime, they let me uh, they let me do the uh, health care fraud program. And so just before I retired, I was able to uh, uh, do a number of investigations where the, our work resulted in securing more stats – uh, than most other field offices, including uh, New York and Los Angeles, wow. we were able to provide a uh, to prosecute more than uh, 300 uh, medical providers for defrauding. If you can believe this, almost a quarter of a billion dollars, 250 million dollars, which today might be small change, but then it was pretty big change. Um, and uh, it was such a big investigation that. Uh, that uh, Mike Wallace on 60 Minutes wanted to do a 60 Minutes program on it, and he did. And uh, and so uh, I, I'm proud of the work that and and that work itself. I I was the uh, I, I I ran the squad, but it was the agents on the squad that actually pulled those stats together and went out and prosecuted, and was able to do the investigation that resulted in the prosecutions that uh, that got those incredible stats and. It was a great way to end a great career. You know, it was one of the best things I ever did in my life. Uh, it was very rewarding. I think you and I spoke before, you know, when, when you look back, I was almost an agent uh, for 35 years. And so I spent most of my life working for the Bureau. Uh, I think it's a, a great professional career for anybody. Absolutely. And so now what are you doing? Well, now I'm uh, retired, uh, but I, of course I can't give it up. And so I, I do work as an outside expert. I have a consulting practice and I run a uh, website for retired agents. Uh, it's a great network. You're a member of the network. Yes, and, I am. Uh, After every uh, episode, I actually promote it. You know, I said the show's sponsored by, and all that means is that you're a friend of mine and I support you and, 
if anybody wants to join uh, or find out information or find agents, retired agents, then FBIRetired.com uh, um, is linked right on my website. That's right, and I thank you very much for that. All right. Well, this has been fascinating. You know, um, corruption and white-collar crime, that's what I did you know, for my entire career. So um, it's nice to have one of those cases on. I've done a lot of, uh, you know, kidnapping and bank robbery, but um, we do so much in the in the FBI. And one of the goals of my show is to make sure people get an understanding of all the things that FBI uh, agents do. So I really, really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much, Jim. Thanks for for calling and and asking me to participate. I, I loved it. Okay, great. Thank you. And we'll have the links right. to some of your cases, and we'll have some really great photos on uh, jerrywilliams.com so people can come and and uh, take a look there. Okay. All right. Thanks Thank you so much. I'll talk to you okay. later. And that's the end of the show. Don't forget that photos and links to newspaper articles related to this interview can be found at jerrywilliams.com. Today's episode was sponsored by FBIRetired.com, the only online directory made available to the general public featuring retired FBI agents and analysts interested in showcasing their skills to secure business opportunities. I hope you come back for another episode of FBI Retired Case File Reviews with Jerry Williams. Thank you.